So on a week where sports news is rather light, coming off of uh, a Super Bowl, no NFL anymore, uh, Major League Baseball is in chaos with new rules, with uh, pitch times and batting times, uh, a, a preseason spring training game just ended in a 6-6 tie because a batter was called out on a 3-2 pitch. Chaos ensued, and people are calling the last uh, NBA weekend the worst in the history of the NBA. We today start off with politics on a sports psych show, and the reason we do that is because Nikki Haley made a comment during a speech regarding the need for competency tests for people to be elected into Congress that are over 75. Now, I don't want to put words in her mouth, so we're going to actually play what she said. She said this during a speech, and she said this during an interview on Fox News. So let's play the clip, the clips, and then we'll, we'll talk about them after that. Okay, so here's... Here's the speech. Let's hear it. Today, our enemies think that the American era has passed. They're wrong. America is not past our prime. It's just that our politicians are past theirs. China's dictators want to cover the world in communist tyranny. And we're the only ones who can stop them. But let me be clear. We won't win the fight for the 21st century if we keep trusting politicians from the 20th century. In the America I see, the permanent politician will finally retire. We'll have term limits for Congress and mandatory mental competency tests for politicians over 75 years old. Okay, that was the speech. She said that towards the end of the speech about the competency. She called it a competency test. And this is this is the comments she made on Fox, uh, answering a question. How would Donald Trump do on the competency test if uh, at at seventy six years old? You know, I think he did great the last time he did it. I have no reason to think he wouldn't do well this time, but I do think we need it. And it's across the board. I don't think it's for president. I think you look at Congress. Look at all the members of Congress. You have to start doing this for elected officials. When people send someone to Washington, they need to know they're at the top of their game. That's why I think those competency tests are important. Okay. So you know, let's, let's get into that. Now, now look. We're not going to get into the specific politics of the situation, but I do want to point out that the constitutionality of this, there's there's two things about this. And, and we're going to get into the, the, the psychiatric and psychological thing in a second. I just do want to point out a couple of things so that we don't get skewered here about that. Aside from the constitutionality, there's a qualifications clause, what's called the qualifications clause. Technically, it is Article 1, Section 3, Clause 3 of the Constitution. It says that a person shall not have, that a person shall have to attain an age of 30 years and be nine years a citizen of the United States when elected and be an inhabitant of the state in which they're chosen. That is it. That's the qualification to be elected as a senator. 
Okay. Nowhere in the Constitution is required a test of any kind, specifically a religious test. You're not allowed to have a religious test, but there's no test that's required to be in Congress. So you would need to have an amendment to the Constitution to have this done. Now, we're not going to go into any of that. Now, also, there's the 25th Amendment, and that's regards to removing a president who is incapacitated or incompetent. And that requires, and, and I'm going to read this real quick, it's the 25th Amendment, Section 4 of the 25th Amendment. It's whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments, which is the cabinet, or other such body as Congress may by law provide transmit to the president pro tempore, which means for the time being, of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives, their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, the vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office of acting president. In other words, if the cabinet and Congress think the president cannot fulfill the duties because they're incapacitated or incompetent, they can remove him for the vice president or her for the vice president. Right. So that is really the only things in the Constitution that uh, can allow for an incompetent removal. The Constitution does not have a test for that. So that is all we're going to say about the political right. part. Of okay, it. because I, I was okay. I was now, worried that this is just something more like a, a law show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not gonna, we're not going to. Well, we are going to do a law show later. <laughs> right. Well, we, we are going to get <laughs> with a our later. guest today. We are going to get a lawyer, but we're not going to talk about this. We're not going to talk about this with the lawyer, but we're not going to talk politics. We're going to talk specifically about what she, the yeah. word that she used, which is competency. Yeah, this is a, right. you know, that, so, that's, a, that's a button that people push in the hospital. Competency, capacity, it's always a, you know, it's a ref when right. it's going to it. Right. All right. So let's, let's, let's educate. This is, this is the segment and we don't have any imaging for this yet. But we're going to get imaging for this at some point. This is Dimitri and Steph educate the audience. Even doctors sometimes don't know the difference between competency and capacity. And they use those two words interchangeably, but they are different things. Competency is a legal term that can only be determined by a judge. Okay. So her saying that there needs to be a competency test fundamentally is not going to work, okay? Because a judge would have to come in and say that that person is incompetent. What I think she means, again, the politics aside, because there are politics here, assuming that she is genuinely concerned and genuinely thinks that these people over 75 should have tests, what I think she is looking for is a neuropsychological evaluation of people over 75 because she thinks that they're having some type of memory or cognitive impairment. That's what I think she's looking for. And that is a different thing than a competency test because there is no competency-specific test. What she's thinking of is a neuropsychological evaluation for things like uh, traumatic brain injury or dementia, for instance. And that is not a test per se, but a battery of tests. In other words, a combination of a bunch of different tests, including tests for intelligence, psychomotor speed, executive functioning, language, uh, memory, 
and the test takes a really long time. It's half a day. It's scored by psychologist, not just a psychologist, but usually a neuropsychologist was a subspecialty of psychology. Now, I'm not going to get into those specific tests again because I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a neuropsychologist, but those are, that's a very specific type of test. Now, some other people have come out and said that, that this should be global for all, for all of the people that get elected or run. And, you know, when you're, <laughs> these tests, these tests are given for a very specific purpose. Right. When you have a person that comes into your office and appears to have memory difficulty or difficulty making decisions, gets lost driving or gets lost walking into their their kitchen, doesn't know what room they're in, forgets the names of their family members. These are the reasons you get this test. You don't get this test because you hate your political rival or you think that they're flubbing words during a speech. Again, politics aside, assuming that she's being genuine, this is this is not probably something that these senators or these congresspeople are going to quote unquote fail. You don't fail these tests. You do poorly or you do well. But judging by the way they're functioning in society and in their job, again, politics aside, because you know, some people will say, Well, they're terrible function. They're functioning terribly. Think look at what they're saying. We're talking about activities of daily living. They're getting up, they're showering, they're putting on clothes, they're tying their shoes, they're driving to their offices, they're giving speeches, right? They're not going to do poorly on these tests. Right. So giving these tests, it's not going to matter. They're going to do pretty well. Right? well and in, in the second clip, she said that Trump did well. Well, yeah, he, he's going to do well. Because he's gonna tie his shoes. these tests are just, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be able to name objects because he he doesn't have he probably he probably doesn't have dementia because he's he's able to do his activities of daily living. You may not like what he's saying, but he's he doesn't have a brain malfunction in the scope of a degenerative brain disorder. Right. I'm assuming again, you, he's not using a toothbrush to eat spaghetti, right? So that that's right. Right. You're, you're he does he's not forgetting what room he's going into in the White House. Okay. Again, you may not like what he's saying. Okay. And far be it for me to disagree with that. And again, we're not talking about his politics. Okay. Well, Nobody well, likes a lot of the things he says. But from a standpoint of a brain disorder, when it comes to dementia, degenerative brain disorders, traumatic brain injury, he's probably going to do well on these tests, on a majority of these tests. Okay. So right. having these types of tests and neurocognitive evaluations, which she's probably talking about for people over 75, they're probably going to do okay. So I have a feeling that she either doesn't know what she means by that or she's just pandering so, to her to her audience. So let me ask you, Dimitri, I know you you know you you're a forensic psychiatrist and I cannot let that opportunity go to set the record straight about competency and capacity. You know, that that's just my pet peeve and having you here talking about it, could you please let us know? Hopefully there's some doctors listening to us, right? 
what is capacity, what is com competency, and even capacity. If you if I'm requesting a consult, right? If I'm gonna send somebody to your office and I'm asking for a capacity evaluation, what the capacity would be for what, right? So maybe uh, Miss Haley, maybe she might have wanted to say capacity to do what, right? To to okay. legislate, right. for example. Okay. All right. So here, here's the other, here's the other end of this. Okay. So competency we agreed is the legal term that's determined by a judge. What doctors determine is something called capacity and capacity is two things. Number one, it's time specific and it's task specific. In other words, capacity is, are you able to do this thing now in this moment? or around this moment, and are you able to do this specific thing? There are many different tasks for capacity, right? Even in Congress, there are many different tasks that you can do. You can't test for all of them. So even if you're going to do these, quote, competency tests for all members, what are you testing? If you want a global test for capacity to be in Congress, well, they kind of did that when they went to school. Right. Right. A lot of these guys are lawyers. A lot of these people are lawyers. Right. And, and, and well, they, they passed the bar. Right. And I would, add, I would add that capacity, it's not permanent. Like you mentioned quite well, it's, it's, there's a time frame, right? And if you want to see in the hospital, the, that decision that you would make that they're not, they don't have capacity for that decision, you know, whatever it is. You could come back in two days and that person is no longer obtained or no, no, no longer mentally altered, then the capacity should or could be restored. Whereas com competency, when a judge decides competency, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, to reverse a decision, you'd have to go through the process again and have a judge, you know, go through the process and determine if they no longer uh, incompetent or not. So people... Correct. Usually, you have to have the judge overturn. Right, overturn. It's right. like capacity is, is right. it can change tomorrow. Like you mentioned at the bar, it can change. Right. Right. So, so what I'm saying is to have these kinds of tests for people elected, it, it's just, it's not something that will ever work. And I know people are jumping all over this and they're like, wow, this is such a great idea because. But I think what they're doing is they're like, well, I don't like their politics and therefore they can't possibly have right. the competency to go in there. And look, there are people in there. I don't like them politics either, but that doesn't mean they don't have capacity to do a job. Right. If you don't like, if you don't like what they're saying or you don't like what they're doing, you have the ability to vote, to not vote for them. You know, I probably should define capacity. Capacity are four different things. It's the ability to communicate, the ability to understand facts, the ability to rationally manipulate those facts. In other words, the giving a reasoning, facts, uh, right. reasoning. So they're not they're not psychotic. In other words, you're not. And this is where this is where this is going to be debated between right. people that disagree with politics. And it's I'm gonna subjective. get into that. So it's, right. so it's it's reason this is but this is objective, right? It's not, you know, the, the aliens are coming down and, and doing this thing to me. Right. And then the and and then the people have to appreciate the consequences of their decision. So the, that's the four things of capacity, the decision making capacity and capacity in general. Okay. So and so 
you know, people in Congress can communicate usually that, and they understand the, the, the job usually. Now, where you're going to get the debate is the reasonability, because when you have Congress people going in there and saying that there's space lasers and, and, you know, the, the conspiracy stuff, which we're gonna get into later on. And, 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 and the new thing, the UFOs, you know, you could get into that too. The, the UFOs, Oh my God, the UFOs! We didn't even talk about right. that. <laughs> when you when you start to get into when you start to get into those kinds of rational things, that's when people go, "See, see, see! They're not rational, and therefore they can't have capacity, and therefore they should be deemed incompetent." Okay, so the question then becomes: Do these people really believe these things? And if they were sitting in front of a doctor that was evaluating them, and said to them, "Look, do you really believe this?" Or are you saying this so that the people that vote for you who actually do believe these things or may and may may think they believe these things right. will vote for you right. so that you can be there? And if they were having an honest moment where no one was listening to them but a doctor who had confidentiality and knew that nothing would get out of the room, would they say, yes, I believe that, in which case you're talking about somebody who may not have that? Now... There's a spectrum of disorder here, right? There are people that actually believe these things and you're talking into the realm of delusion. Right. Um, or psychosis, right? You believe that these things are real, these things like lasers. Or, or, or even personalities, and, right? If you go into uh, schizotypal, you know, people might right, have or, or odd weird beliefs things. Or weird and things, I don't, right? I don't want to keep harping on the on the laser thing that I know there's there's other ones um, vaccines are causing autism stuff like that right uh, people these conspiracy theories the HIV is, and there's, is, is and, a weapon whatever or it's a, HIV it's a is a weapon it's not right. real yet right so and and there's actually one really weird one uh, that that birds are not real that they're birds are actually mechanical that, that oh, wow. literally birds are mechanical because they sit on wires and they're like, well, how can birds sit on wires? I've never heard that one before. An electrical wires, yeah, that's, that's a really weird one. So, do you, if you really believe them, you're on one end of the spectrum into into possible psychosis and delusion, and then on the other end of the spectrum are people that just say this to pander to people who may believe this so that they can vote for them. And you're talking into uh, charlatan type of right. people that are doing this for secondary gain. Of course. So if you had an honest moment with these people, you're sitting down to do, let's say the Nikki Haley thing works out and she's like, we, we got this. Everyone's going to have a competency test or capacity test to, to go into Congress and they have to get evaluated by a doctor and you had them sit in a room and then you knew it was confidential and they couldn't and it wasn't going to leave the room and they had to be tested and the test was going to be confidential and the doctor would either say yes or no. And that's it. And they wouldn't know what, what they talked about or anything like that. The doctor would walk out of the room and say yes or no. Yeah. Here's the thing. People would have... would that person actually say that that's, <laughs> that's what they really it, believe? It's an interesting question. <laughs> and right. okay. Here's what I think. <laughs> okay, so um, that's, that's the question. People in politics are, are very, very smart, right? They're very smart. They are, you can't even say they, they can be manipulative, right? I, I, one of my professors usually say, yeah, exactly. you have to be antisocial to be in politics because you have to lie and you have to make yep. people believe in your lie. But to your question, right. behind closed doors to the doctors, they'd probably say, No, I'm just light. You know? That's right. And 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 even going beyond this right now, like who would be the doctor? Because doctors have their own biases too. So are you gonna get for the Republicans, are you gonna get a Republican doctor who has a Republican leanings? Are you gonna get a Democrat leaning doctor? 
are you going to get an independent? Like, it, there's so many problems. There's so with many this layers, idea. right? There's so many layers and problems with this idea. Who does the evaluation? What's their leaning? It's, it's, a, just, it's, it's a slippery it's, slope. Yeah, it's, it's there's no there's no possible way this is going to happen from a, just from a political standpoint, but from a mental health standpoint, it's not. It's it's likely it wouldn't even matter. And and, and what, where would you where would you stop? Just politician, or would I want my my kids' teachers to get a, a an evaluation? Would I want my doctor to get an evaluation? Right. I mean, where do you draw the line? My mechanic right. might not. I don't know, tie up my brick would do well. I want him to make sure that, you know, I want the capacity or capacity evolve because he might want to kill me. So who knows? I, I know. I know. So no, we're talking about our belief now, right? <laughs> right. And and you know, look, in this country in this country, and this is coming from psychiatrists, right? And and me specifically forensic psychiatrist who who does evaluations like this, you are allowed to have whatever belief you want. That includes members of Congress. That includes people who are not members of Congress, people on the street, wherever wherever you want, people over 75, people under 75. You're allowed to believe whatever you want, okay? There's only two qualifications to that. To that. One, you're not allowed to, because of those beliefs, hurt yourself or others. And at that point, then certain laws kick in and require that if doctors get involved that they have to in in states they have to put you in a hospital for those things right I, I, I for think dangerousness we, purposes yeah i think we're walking a fine line between uh disbelief and you know i think we're gonna talk about conspiracy theories right that's a fun topic too oh we're gonna we're gonna get into conspiracy theories oh and yeah again, these are the things so we're talking about. You are allowed to believe, to believe these things. Right. You're allowed to believe these things. So we're going to get into why people believe these things or the research into why people believe these things. Right. Soon. But what what I wanted what we wanted to talk about first was this idea that you know you could even have these capacity assessment or competency assessments as she called them because aside from the politics of it, it, it wouldn't even matter. It, to be honest, from from a from a from a mental health standpoint, from a from a psychiatric standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, it wouldn't matter. These people would pass these tests, right? And, in and, my opinion, they would pass these tests just yeah, based on the way they function. Of course, and, and I think she she or whoever says that uh, in in Congress, they're they're really smart. So I don't think they really believe it's a possibility. I think to your point, I think they're talking to the base, right? They they want to make a point that. They on that position or on this position, but I don't, I don't think if you if you really come down to it, I don't think they really believe that's a possibility that everybody in Congress would have to pass a a, a competency, like she said, or capacity evaluation, right? So it's it's practically yeah, impossible. I don't, I don't know that. Yeah, I don't I don't know that. We don't know what we don't know. I don't know <laughs> that 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 she's going to implement. I don't know that she's going to look. Congress has done weird stuff. And they introduced bills that were like, are you guys really serious to introducing these things? But again, the layers of problems you're going to have when it comes to this, what are the tests? What are the batteries of tests you're going to put in there? What What's the name of these tests? Who's going to decide of these things? Who's the doctor? Who's going to decide? Who's going to decide who the doctor is? Right? Is it the is it congressional members? Is there going to be a committee? who's going to be on the committee. It's just, it, there's so many layers that are problems with this. 
even before you get into the psychiatric and psychological issues of whether or not they're going to pass it. And just based on their activities of daily living, these people get up every day. They shower, presumably they shower. They dress. They 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 put a tie on. They get dressed. They drive. They put their clothes on. They're going to do okay on a neuropsych test. Now, capacity, you, you argue the reasonability, but again, in a room with a doctor, when they know nothing's going to get out and they know their job is on the line, the job where they get paid a lot of money, are they going to endorse the things they say knowing that it could potentially take them out of this? Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's just not. I, look, I, I just don't. And so that's that. He's a Pandora's box. Have fun with it. So one of the things that we mentioned at the beginning uh, in the introduction was the NBA All-Star Weekend and how it was considered one of the worst in the history of the NBA. And I think the numbers bear that out. I had the numbers up here a second ago. I think it was uh, – well, I didn't watch it to tell you, to, to tell I, I you the, the truth. And I usually watch it every year. So, but I think they said it was down about twenty-seven percent in viewership compared to last year. Yeah, I've got the numbers here. Right, it was two point two and four point five nine million viewers. It was that's a decline from last year. Twenty-nine percent from last year. Twenty-nine percent, and it's the worst ever, right? And it's the well, the headline is least watched edition in the history. As ratings hit record low, that's the that's the headline from Yahoo Sports. So, it 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 was considered the worst ever, at least according to Yahoo Sports. Right. And, and he, he, I I don't even know the score. Do you, do you remember the score? I have, I know one team won, the other team lose. Oh, here no it idea. is. It was one eighty four, one seventy five, which is a ridiculous number. For a basketball game. No, I, I think I, I think the way they've been doing it, they change the format every year. They're trying to fix it, and I think they have a target score to to, to go to. They have to reach that score. Whoever gets there first win the game. Um, so that's oh. why so many points. So the oh, team that well, gets one no something first. No wonder, like no wonder, there's no defense. There's no like, defense. What the hell? There's no defense. Right. Everybody's oh, trying to make them the most ridiculous. points anyway. Anyway, it's so not great, but a game, right? Mike Malone, he is the coach of the Denver Nuggets. Right. Yes. And he was also the coach of the LeBron team. And if you don't know anything about the NBA All-Star game, the way they changed it is now they have a draft. They have a player on one side and a player on the other side. Right. And they draft their team. So you don't have East-West. And I, and I like that. Right. I, I like don't it. mind you know, that This either. year, they, they did it on the, on the day. They, they did it like just like a pickup game. They were calling the right. players right before the game. That that was fun. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with that either because pickup games in the offseason, these guys play really hard. It's just they just right. didn't this time. And so LeBron versus Giannis, Team LeBron. So anyway, Mike Malone was the coach of the LeBron team, and he said that it was the worst basketball game he's ever seen. And we have that sound, so let's let's play that sound so we don't 
put words in his mouth, but here's the sound. The amount of points that your team surrendered, is that going to leave a scar for you? <laughs> it's going to form over the scar that was formed in Charlotte yes. back in 2019. You know, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be a part of a, a great weekend, great players, but that is the worst basketball game ever played. How do you fix it? Uh, I don't know if you can fix it. I mean, I give Joel and B, Kyrie Irving, those guys were like competing. Joel was imploring some of the guys to play harder, to try to get some defense in, but... All right, so that's Mike Malone I mean, saying he's not wrong. The worst basketball game. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to disagree actually, with him. Actually, he is right. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, look, I, I can't say for sure that he's right because I did not watch this game. And I did not watch a second of All-Star Weekend, and that's not usual for me. And to be honest with you, I didn't even know it was All-Star Weekend. And that's not usual for me either because I love the NBA and I love All-Star Weekend, especially because I love the dunk contest. When I was a kid, right? the dunk contest was my jam and the three-point contest. These things, I love these things. So I think the issue, the issue is the, the, the before, the week, up, upcoming week to the to the weekend, you don't have star names, right? You don't have superstars in the dunk that's contest. Right. Nobody's going to get interest. No one's going to want to do it. To me. They don't want but to if, you, if you tell me you have, you have a lineup of one of the, I don't know, three of the five superstars, the, the high flyers, and then they will compete in a dunk contest, everybody will tune in. Absolutely. You right? put LeBron in a dunk contest, I'm there. But LeBron doesn't want to Put LeBron, put Janice, put, put, I don't know, those, those big guys. Know, Giannis, in, Giannis might be too, it might be too easy for Giannis. But the man's like seven but feet it tall. It doesn't right? matter. It doesn't matter who wins. But if you put these names in a lineup, people are guaranteed to watch. No, of course. You and, know, and so. Absolutely. But they don't want to do it anymore. Like Michael Jordan, the, the greatest player of his generation, did, did, the all, did the dunk contest. And it was – and Dominique Wilkins, uh, Spud Webb, these guys did the dunk – Vince Carter did the dunk contest. Vince Carter, Julius Irving. Julius Irving did the dunk contest. These guys, the the great players, did the dunk contest, and now they don't. Larry Bird did the three point shoot, the, the shooting contest. Right. Man, we're really dating ourselves, man. But like, the, these guys did did the the skills competition. People watched them, and now they're not. the The stars are not doing it, so nobody cares. And for me, so, not so, to what, watch what, it, not even to know that it was going on, is is sort of a big deal. What I, I wonder, a lot of people didn't do it either. Right. What I wonder, I wonder, which we'll never know. I wonder if the NBA go first to those names, right? They go to, let's say, I if they go to Giannis, they go to LeBron James, they go to Anthony Edwards, and they keep saying no, 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 because they don't need that as publicity. They already have the shoe deal. They want to rest. And then they have to settle for names that nobody knows, like McClellan, the, the, my, whatever his name is, Josh McClellan, the one that won the – he was in the G League. Right before the week of the, yeah. of the All-Star game, he was part yeah. of the G League. Individually, good for the guy because he got signed that same weekend. He got signed by Philadelphia Sixers. He got a shoot deal with Puma, and people knew his name. People learned who he was, but okay. that's for him. But for the for the game, for the, game, for right. the fans, I think he was a he was a loss. And and, and this we lost it. and this goes into one of the big issues right now in the NBA, right on the backs of the Nets exploding four years ago or whatever oh when did this happen get me three years ago four years ago when you put they put kd they put Kyrie, and they put james harden on the nets they had their own big three 
Right. And this thing right. blew up so spectacularly that right. it may be the worst management blow up in the history of the NBA. Because you think of a big three that failed this spectac- spectacularly in, in the history of the league that just didn't win anything. Like they weren't even close. That that the furthest they got was the second round. I I, I don't know. It, you know, I I'll, I'll answer that question probably. The same team, the 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 Nets. They also a few years back. They also had Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and who was it? The third one that they they is it Joe Johnson? I forgot. But they are maybe now they have a pattern of getting B three, B three together and dismantling them. They don't do anything. You know, is is it part of the management? Is it the owner? Who knows? Or, or is it the personality? Who knows? That but that together? was that was a debacle. Maybe and that a, and, that was a that's a fiasco. And that gets into what we're talking about here is this new group of players that have come in in the last twenty years or so, who's basically said what we've realized is that we're the reason people come watch games, and we're just going to kind of do what we want. We're going to do load management. Right. We're not going to play when we don't want to play. And when we decide we don't want to play for your team anymore, we're just going to up and decide we want to trade. And that's exactly what Kyrie Irving and, right. and Kevin Durant did. And is that is that them just deciding that they're worth more than the franchise is worth? Because the NFL players can't do this. In 1987, they no. went on strike. And what happened was people decided that they were rooting for the logo on the helmet more than they were for the players. The NBA, different story because we can see their face. And it seems that the players have figured that out. And so now they're like, well, right. no, people it, care about me more than they care about the logo. There's a movement in the NBA where players seem to control the narrative of the entire sport. Even even in media, a lot of players now have their own media uh, platform. They have their own shows while they are actively playing a, a basketball. And I'm not, I don't want to say it's wrong that they should not have the power. You know, you, you mentioned empowerment. One might call it entitlement. I don't know what, what right is right and what one is wrong. You know, I, I, I would support somebody having autonomy, um, having this, this, uh, decision making power on their own life. But if I compare to normal people like us, like you and I, if I sign a contract with a hospital, I can imagine waking up in the morning and saying, you know what? I, I'm, I don't want to work for you anymore, and I nullify the contract. I probably get sued. Well, the difference is that your contract is not collectively bargained, and, and that's the difference. That's a good that point. These a good the, point. the contracts in the NBA and, and Major League Baseball and everything they have a union. The doctors are not allowed to unionize, so these contracts are collectively bargained. But even in these collectively bargained contracts, players are just like, you know what? I've decided that I'm done, I'm done and like I'm going to say, I don't want to play for you anymore and I want to go somewhere and, else. And they and they can do that because right. they the big the big players, I, I don't know that third guy off the bench can do that, but players like Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving can do that because they're the marquee guy on your team. And if they decide Right. They're powerhouses. That's right. And and the question now is, is this an empowerment issue? These players have decided they have all the power, or has this become an entitlement issue? And what I'm trying to get at is, again, the guy on the end of the bench is not going to be able to do that. So is it really an empowerment issue for players to be able to do this? 
or have the big name players, the all stars, for example, have they become entitled? Right. The this generation of and, and this is two old guys, uh, the old generation <laughs> versus this true. new generation going. You know these 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 kids are becoming entitled, thinking you know I can just do what I want. They're right. Want and I, I, I'm young, but I, I hope I'm young. But I, I tend to to <laughs> one old you know guy. side I mean. more with yeah. <laughs> uh, speak for yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I, I I do think that a a value contract. If I sign an agreement with someone, there's 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 some responsibility that comes to it, right? I give my word. To my employer, right? That I'm gonna see my con- my contract through for four years, for example. And if you want to trade me, that's up to you. But I, I don't think because what's the difference? Just sign one new contract. Just sign a new contract every year, right? Um, but now, if you wanna if you wanna play devil's advocate, there's that there's that notion that employers also they'll call them owners, right? So. I don't know. Some people, you know, stretch the line a little bit and say, well, this is no longer, I don't want to say slavery, but it's no longer um, being owned by someone oh, that yeah. you have to have power on, on your own life. So it's, yeah, you're gonna you use can that word. both sides. But it, that, that's a loaded word, know. man, because you're not going to be able to call that's them. That's a loaded word. People will be like, you can't be called slaves when you're making seven to eight figure salaries. And you sign a contract. It's, you know, I'm not going to be able to disagree with the, the contract thing, but again, these are collectively bargained contracts. And if somewhere in the CBA it says, you know, I can ask for a trade, now the question is the the owner could say no, but then the player's exactly. going to be like, well, I'll just I'm not going to play. And then what are you going to do? Yeah, I'm going to mess up your entire. I'm going to mess up your right. entire season. And well, the owner says, well, I, I'm not going to pay you, maybe, but the contracts are guaranteed. Whether you play or not, you still have to get paid. And even if the contract is not guaranteed, which I think they are, even if you're not, I messed up your entire season by not playing. And so right. it, they do have that power, right? Because they're the best player. So it's better for the the owner to be like, fine, you want to screw up my entire season. I might as well just get rid of you. And send you somewhere, right? And and this is now playing out in the All Star Game because it used to be an honor to be an All Star, and players do get bonuses for you know I don't I don't know that it's a big bonus I, I don't want to speak to that because I don't know their contracts, but they do get some bonuses. Yeah, I think players. they have clause. They have, they have clause. If you if you make if you make the the first defensive team, the first right, offensive right. team, if you make the All Star game, you get so many. You probably yeah, do, but it's not it's not a ton of money. My guess is it's probably a hundred thousand dollars to it. The inflation and stuff like that. I I don't know, and I'm not going to speak to the exact number. I could probably look it up. Right, but there's probably incentives. It, there's incentives for it. But now they're. Some players have said, well, if you want us to try in the All-Star game, well, pay us more money. And we have a clip here of, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Shea Gilius Alexander. Did I get that right? Yeah, I think they call him SGA. That's his year. Yeah, okay. Well, Shea Gilgis Alexander. Okay. We have a clip He's of like him. The guy, he plays for Oklahoma City, I think, right? Yeah, for the Thunders. Yeah, okay. So there's a clip of him wearing a fur. Oh, and oh, this is an audio medium, so you're going to have to go look the clip up on Twitter. 
but he's wearing a fur. This is the clip of him saying, if you want to fix the All-Star game, the quote is, quote, money talks. Pay out. Money talks. So let's play the clip and then we'll talk about it, right? And then Michael Malone, after the game, said it was the worst basketball game he'd ever seen. Like, is there any fixing of the All-Star game or do you think it really matters? Um, there's, there's always money talks. So, in you, the more incentives, I think guys would take it seriously, mm-hmm. more seriously. Um, but with that being said, it was super fun the way it is now, and I have no complaints. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think it needs to be fixed. Um, but if they want that, I think for sure it's a way. Okay. Now, imagine him saying that wearing a fur. This guy's wearing a fur and he's saying, essentially, give me more money to try hard and something that should be that, you know, considered an like if and, I was right, honored as the, like an all star doctor, that would be pretty cool to me. And this is not like a guy who's been there before. Like this is not like his seventh time. And he's like, yawn, I've been here before. You know, I'm wearing a fur. I think this is his first all star game. I, I believe this Maybe is his first. a second. I believe this is his first All-Star. Regardless, I, I, I see your point. I mean, being in the All-Star game is let, let's 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 um, I put let, let's think about that. He's not getting paid, right? Just being there, it's it's media likeness, it's media ability. It's you, he's selling his his brand, right? Some of the players they get exposed um, during the weekend, that's the weekend, and they may get a, a shoot deal a few weeks later because that, being there is it's already you're already getting more money, so why? I don't get the comment. Well, it, okay, so comment, it honestly. is his first All Star game, so that's that's confirmed now. Okay, and the idea that well, if you want us to try now at this thing, you, you have to pay us more money now. Whether that's a good idea or not, it actually might actually really be a good idea, and there's a ton of ways that it could be a good idea to actually incentivize the All Star game and make them play. But the idea of you know you're you're selected and how many all-stars per team is it 12 it's 12 right so something like that it's yeah 12. so 12 or 13 so 24 to 26 players out of the whole league of yeah it's 12 it's 12 of how many players are in the league oh to that's 300? a lot it's probably 15 15 times. I don't know. Something like but, but I, I think of, I, I may have an option. Out of, out of 500 players, you're 24 to 26 selected as the best. You're going to come in and say, you know, I, I, I don't, I want more money. Now, to, to people who are not making seven to eight figures, that's completely an entitlement thing. It sounds like an entitlement thing, but I don't think I don't think it's about the money. I, I think I really think these players they they think the weekend is fun is is to rest. It's, it's you know you rest, but you, the product that the NBA is selling has to be because they're gonna lose money. You know, if the viewership is down, they're gonna they will lose money in, in the advertisement. So believe me or not, they'll find a way to fix it. My idea it's the game itself making competitive regardless who's playing on the court regardless of the the stars make it competitive and maybe what they can do is make sure that people play defense right let's say wow. if you have five steals that's so many five steals would be so many more million dollars for that charity or 
two blocks would be that or five blocks would be that. They don't play defense. They, they try to fix it with the score. They said if you reach 180 points, then that team wins. But there's no defense. That's all offense. There's no it's defense a, for that. That's offense. Yeah. Exactly. So they, they need to balance it. That's fine. You set a score so you probably will shoot and score, but set also incentive for defensive plays, right? Steals, blocks, um, and you keep adding the money on the money pot. You know, but he's not playing into the pocket. They're playing for charities, right? He's not. He's not I, I asking he's for money for charities. He's asking for money for himself. He's asking money for himself. That's what I don't get. You know, I, I mean, you get. could because the entire game, the NBA wants to be a charity. Event, right? You can you can say like you know if you get, you know, the number of steals you get, you get an extra for every steal you get, you get a hundred thousand dollars per an extra per stat or something like that, but. But just right. to take their side for a second, this is supposed to be a break, right? It's supposed to be days off, and these guys are going and not getting their days off. So imagine, yeah, they're getting a lot of doctors got their days off, days off, lot of, right. and now you have to work on your day off. Now, granted, it is an honor, supposedly, to be there, but you are still working on your day off because you have to deal with uh-huh. the media, which uh-huh. is sometimes very annoying for them. And you're, you're selling a product. You have to be right. there. You're, you're selling, right? You're being the salesperson for your product and you're not getting paid extra for it other than the, bo- the bonus that you're getting relative to your n- normal salary. From your, for, right. Would regular From people team. that have a regular job be okay with that, not getting paid and just going and being a salesperson for f- essentially for free? No, they probably would not. They'd probably be like, you know, go pay me for it. Again, now nobody wants to hear that when their regular, when these people's regular salary is seven and eight figures, because most people are making minimum wage or they're making less than that. And they're like, well, if you paid me seven figures, I'd go sell my product too. But maybe that's the way they see it. And if you want them to play hard, you know, it's- fine. Don't pay them extra just for being there, but pay them extra for trying. Right, or it, it, it's capitalism and it's human behavior. It is capitalism. It more money to get. But don't try to get more money. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I can't be upset at that. But that's the entitlement, right? Right. You know, or if you want me to be somewhere, give me more. Give me more. 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 Give me more and more and more. And that's that's where we are, I guess, in America. Like everything is growth, and companies need to make more money, and the stock needs to go up. And right. why would we think that these guys are going to be any different no. than that? I, I don't. I, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I think I honestly think it's not up to the players. I think it's up to the league to fix the the NBA All Star Weekend. I don't think giving them more money will make them play harder. You know, it's going to be the same product on the floor. Um, back in the days, it used to be it used to be a, a good event. It used to be Michael Jordan playing, and then you would see um, I don't know the best defender of the league trying to stop Michael Jordan because he was a privileged guarding Michael Jordan, right? It was and pride. Would want to score on anybody yeah, else. It was pride. It was pride, yeah. right? I'm not going to score on me, right? So it was. It was. Anyway. Oh, you think you're the best? Well, I'm the best, and you're not going to. There's nothing you can yeah, do to right. stop me. And now it's you're going to score on me. Yeah, I think that that setting a scoring, setting a scoring number that you have to get it made to, it worse. It, it obviously made it worse because now there's it legislated out defense, and that's that's ridiculous. Right. And the only way to do that is to eliminate that. There was one, uh, Michael Wilbon on PTI had a suggestion that they play United States players versus foreign players, which I think is a fantastic But nobody idea. had that. They, 
they used to have it. They, they took it away. They used to have uh, international versus uh, U.S. players. You know, they have three different games. They have the celebrity games. They have the the rookies and sophomores, and they they, they used to have international versus U.S. That they, they they took it away. So I don't know how different it would be than prior years. I guess the, all the all stars, the the bigger stars. Would would be U.S. versus international, right? The the, the bigger the bigger players, but the other thing they should do is cut out all right. the other games. How many games did they have in the previous All Star game? They had they had the skills competition and they had the All Star game, and that was it. Now they've got all these different games. They've got the the freshman games, the the rookie games. Get rid of the celebrity games. Get, get rid of all that. Have three things: the dunk contest, the three point shooting contest, and the All Star game. The All Star game should be international versus U.S. I'm on board with Wilbon. And you're right. If there's less games, then they still get to rest. Yeah, right? but exactly. But it's, it's a full weekend event. They get they have to be available to the media. They do they do a lot of talk. They do a lot of you know um, charity events, and it's a lot going on behind the scenes. You know, they're not resting at all. At night, they're having parties, they're hosting things. They, you know, so it's it, it's I would say it's a tiring weekend. And I'll, I'll tell you this: there's the, I don't know if you saw the news, but people are getting upset with I think it was Damien Lillard. That as for load management right after the, the All-Star game, he didn't play because of load management. I mean, that's what the All-Star was for. It's a break. Steph, did you hear that Aaron Rodgers came out of the dungeon? <laughs> is this still a thing, a dungeon? Do we still have, we still have dungeon I, I nowadays? Know. I don't know. Could you call it a dungeon? I don't know. He came out of his... I don't uh, know. He was supposed to be there for for four days, I think, and he only spent two because how can you spend four straight days in absolute darkness? Well, it's, it's a spiritual thing, right? It's no talk, no... You don't see anything. I, I, I don't know. It's... If it helps him play better, then good for him. Listen, when I was in North Carolina last year, there's a cave that you can go to. I don't remember the name of it or anything, but you can go into this cave. It's a tour. And you go into this cave, and it's underground. And they shut the door behind you, and it's a legit cave. And it's like this thing that they discovered. And they have lights and stuff, you know, because it's underground, so they show you. But what they do is they, they they go into the cave and they shut the lights off to show you what it's like in the cave with nothing, with, with no lights. And it's the most frightening thing I've ever seen because you literally can put your hand in front of your face, an inch in front of your face, and you cannot see it. Cannot see your hand in front of your face. And they did it for like 20 seconds and people were freaking out. And to go into a room yeah. for four days where there's no lights, it, it, I don't That's know scary. how it can be a spiritual retreat. They yeah. said that um, after like a day, you start to hallucinate. After a week, you start to have mental health issues, you become psychotic. Um, after a few weeks, you lose the ability to see things. In other words, your the muscles in your eyes become atrophied, and that makes sense because there's muscles in your eyes, and 
And if you don't use those muscles, they go the way of any muscle, which is atrophied, and then you are not able to actually see anything. You become permanently blind, even if you came out of the cave. And the idea that you would go into this thing. But you know what? More power to you, Aaron. You did it. You came out. Now I'd love to hear what he has to say and where he's going to go. But that's not what we're talking about here. Right. Okay. I don't know. There's a lot of people that, that do things that might sound or look a little bit out of the norms. That's right. So I could say. But uh, it just made me think that if he did that experiment and he was able to maintain his sanity, that might mean that his, his brain power, right, his psychological power, his cognitive power is pretty high up there. If you don't lose your cool in the dark for after a couple of days and you come out supposedly normal, I don't know, I haven't seen him, I haven't evaluated him. That means he's got, you know, he's he's pretty good up there, like meditation, maybe if you call it meditation, maybe, I don't know. Um, well, but I don't know, whatever gives you the edge, right? Well, we haven't seen yet whether he's normal yet because he hasn't decided whether he's going <laughs> to the Jets yet. So if he goes to the Jets, we haven't, you know, maybe we he know. didn't come out yeah, completely we know there's normal. a problem. Yeah, <laughs> you know, There agree. might be actually a problem, so... Well, yeah. what we were going to talk about here is, is you know, the reason we started with Aaron Rodgers and we mentioned Kyrie Irving earlier and we were talking a little bit earlier about capacity and competency and political beliefs is we wanted to kind of get into conspiracy theories and Aaron Rodgers has in the past uh, espoused some unusual beliefs about vaccines and Kyrie Irving in the past has uh, espoused the flat earth theory, which he had apologized for later on. And right. politics is fraught with conspiracy theories about the government. It's a tool, right? It's a tool. Right. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you know, s some conspiracy theories are can be just laughable, right? The The... the a lot of people believe the earth is flat. That's laughable. It's, it's harmful. I mean, it's harmless, I would say. Or there's people, other people believe that the moon landing was faked by the government. Those things are harmless, right? They don't do anything. But conspiracy theories can be dangerous, right? They're, us as physicians, psychiatrists, we have to, I mean, we have a duty oftentimes to correct our patients, right? Because missing the vaccine, if a, a belief is potentially harmful, it's part of our duty to correct those disinformation right in the medical field you know a few years ago during covid i remember one particular one that people believed bill gates supposedly were in cahoots with anthony fauci to promote vaccine because they want to control people or there was a supposedly a chip in your arm so the gym two was controlling the masses so i don't know and then that could lead to people not getting vaccinated right and that could that could lead to sickness death and and uh a pandemic that was never under control um, our psychiatrists, right, we have a duty for that. We have to be vigilant to the fact that many of our patients are vulnerable to those misinformation in, in, in the medical field. And we talk a lot about, earlier we talk about delusions, odd beliefs, but there's people that have what, I, what we like to call psycho, um, psychological traits or personality traits. I personally don't like to call them personality disorders because once you say disorder, you lose a patient somewhere, um, sometime. So I call them personality traits, right? And what we've seen, you know, I feel like people that have those narcissistic traits, they are 
more prone to believing things that can be inflating, self-inflating, right? Or that that could help them control the masses. And the one that we, most people are familiar with is the grandiose narcissism, right? People that have a, a high sense of self or inflated sense of self, and they believe that they can control masses. And for them, having those beliefs, those beliefs, you know, they help them uh, fulfill their desire of being un- unique, right? Um, being in possession of knowledge that they feel like others are not privy to, given that sense of grandiosity, right? They know things that people don't know. And given a sense of being particular or being important and controlling masses, controlling the rhetoric, right? But there's also a different type of narcissism or it's, it's a vulner- vulnerable narcissism, right? It's not necessarily that these people create those beliefs or create the, the, the conspiracies. They are more prone to be the believers, right? The There's the the theorists and then there's the uh, believers. And these people, what we've seen is that they can use conspiracy theories to almost as a form of a defense mechanism to put their misery into context, right? To shift blame of what happened in their life um, into context and make it, to normalize it, right? It's more so a desire, distrust, being distrustful of people, more paranoid thinking, right? And, and being more suspicious. And because that happened to me, it's because the vaccine is dot, 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 dot. So I think, for conspiracy conspiracy theory to to survive, you need those both type of people. The one that would drive the narrative, build a, a, a theory, control the masses because they want to be that person. They want to be the one controlling. And the the other side of the of the equation is having those people that are that have some kind of insecurity, right? That have to fit the life the narr- the life narrative into that conspiracy theory and give it context, a reasoning of of, of what happens to them, right? But my point is. Those can be dangerous, right? We've heard theories about HIV. We've heard theories about uh, contraception. We've heard countless of times theories about vaccine, the anti-vax uh, um, people. And as doctors, it might be difficult to antagonize our patients, but we have to put science first and to, if it's harmless, hum- that's fine. You mentioned it earlier. A delusion doesn't have to be something that you have to commit somebody in the hospital for. If the delusion is harmless, doesn't hurt anybody, doesn't hurt yourself, I don't have any issue with it. But when it comes to science and medical uh, information, we have to make sure that we say uh, we live with the truth, right? And I know to get really deep into the concept of uh, conspiracy, I know you can talk more about how and what is the impact in society and, and what actually is ingrained in a conspiracy theory. How does that happen to, to, to become a reality, if you want? Really good points. Really good points. And and what I what I want to point out, and you mentioned the word delusion, there's a term in forensic psychiatry called an extreme overvalued belief. It's defined as it's a belief shared by others in a person's culture, religious or subculture group. It's relished, amplified, and defended by the possessor of the belief and should be differentiated from a delusion or obsession. So essentially, it's like a stage below a delusion, which, and the delusion is considered in a psychotic realm. So these, these extreme overvalued beliefs are usually associated with the conspiracy end of it. Now, there's a really good study that was done in 2018. And I realize that's five years ago, but what it did was it sort of 
took all of the research at that point and looked at what was the reasons people believed in conspiracies and what conspiracy theories kind of do to people and how they propagate. And I think after reading this particular study, these things still hold true. And so I think it's a good primer for this particular episode to get into. And what they found that conspiracy theories fall into four primary areas. They're consequential. These are the terms that they use in, in the study, the four basic principles. They're consequential, universal, emotional, and social. So I want to do the first two real quick. And then the last two are, are sort of the meat of these, this kind of idea. And so we'll get into that. Consequential means that believing in these theories has real world consequences. And I think you got into this, Steph, when you talked about the vaccine thing. People that have beliefs about vaccines, whether you're talking about what used to be an older vaccine belief that vaccines cause autism and not getting your children vaccinated because of that reason, or this new version of a vaccine belief that, you know, Bill Gates puts electrical GPS things in right. your in your vaccines or, or surveillance I, stuff. Surveillance stuff. Or there's even a new one now that vaccines are causing heart problems, that they're they're causing cardiac issues. And so the people are not getting them or that the people that are getting them are, are getting heart problems. And, and even the Darren Hamlin thing is, is getting caught up in this. They have real world consequences. So if you don't get your kids vaccinated because you believe that they're going to get autism, there have been measles outbreaks in the United States. We haven't had measles outbreaks in decades, but now these things are becoming a thing now because people are not getting vaccinated. Right. Another another conspiracy, and just to, to point out that this is not a strictly American phenomenon, in South Africa, there's a conspiracy theory that HIV is actually harmless and it's a propagated by the pharma industry to sell expensive retroviral medication. And because of that theory, again, we're not making this a strictly American thing. The president of South Africa from 1999 to 2008 and I'm going to butcher his name again. I'm just doing this all over the place today. Thabo Mbeki, I guess. Mbeki. Mbeki? Thabo Mbeki? Mbeki. I think that's fine. My, my apologies for butchering names today. He did not allow the use of anti-HIV drugs. And hundreds of thousands of people died from HIV because he espoused this conspiracy theory. This is not just an American phenomenon. So... Conspiracy theories have real, real world consequences. That's what that particular principle means. And going along the thing of not being a American phenomenon, conspiracy theories are universal. In other words, they cross culture and they cross time. These things go across seas. There's conspiracy theories all over the world. Just like I mentioned in, in South, South Africa, Africa, there's conspiracy theories of indigenous people in South America that the deaths in their in their 
village are caused by evil spirits from another competing village. The the witch hunts in medieval times are conspiracies that young women are, you know, conspiring with the devil. These are conspiracy theories. People don't consider them that or they don't look at them that way, but these are conspiracy theories. But they don't you know, I don't know if we see them that way in the same way that we see modern ones, but these are conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories about government have been around for ages. People have been writing into newspapers since the 19th century. But I think when we talk about, you know, quote unquote, why people believe in these things, I think what we really mean is the the third prong of these principles. And what they found was that they're emotional. And this is where we're probably going to get the biggest pushback. And that's because this is counterintuitive to the way people see themselves in the way they believe in things. People believe that they are being analytical when they're espousing the belief that they're having because they're saying that they have tons of evidence and they're giving evidence. But when it comes down to it, what you find out is the rationalization that's used for these theorizing is confirmation bias because the evidence that's used is the evidence that supports the idea and the evidence that doesn't is excluded and something called the illusion of explanatory depth. And this is a really, really, really important concept, the illusion of explanatory depth. And what that means is somebody is speaking about something that they don't truly understand as if they understand it. And I want to use the UFO thing as an example. And I'm not, look, I'm not picking on any one particular belief in general. I just want to use this one in particular because this one kind of jumps out at me a lot. The people that are using the UFO examples with the fighter pilots and the Tic Tac, there are videos out on fighter pilots that the Navy, I believe they're Navy pilots, they sent out video of of Tic Tac UFOs and they're doing all these crazy things in the air and they're moving in, in these weird ways that like our planes can't do this. And so people are like, look at the way these things are, these Tic Tac UFOs are moving. There's no way our airplanes or any airplane on earth can move in this way. And that's true. There is no plane on earth that can move in the way that these things are moving. Now, the conclusion that you're jumping to is then, therefore, that must be a UFO, which, you know, by definition of an unidentified flying object, that is true. But the conclusion then is that it is some kind of alien or outer worldly object. And that's that's the then conclusion of that. But what they're saying is, well, fighter pilots are seeing it. It's on radar. It must be real. But what I don't think they understand is they're talking out of their depth because they don't know how to analyze that data. And so ask them to explain what they're actually seeing on that radar data. What is that thing that you're seeing there? What is all those numbers on the radar on that screen? It's, it's all it is is a fuzzy object. You don't actually see a spaceship, right? All it is is just a little black thing moving. It, what, it, could, it could all be, be artifact for, for, for it, what we it know. Could it could be, be artifact, anything, right? Yeah. Right. But what are what are all those numbers mean? What are all the, what's the distance mean? What's the speed mean? What's what do all those things mean? And you'll never get those people to explain that to you because they all they'll say is, well, the fighter pilot saw it. Then that's true. 
fighter pilots are the best trained people. Our U.S. fighter pilots are the best trained people, but they're not analysts. But when you get someone and there's videos out of people that actually do understand these things and they explain what those numbers mean and how those things operate and what that actually probably is based on those numbers and the distance and those the distance between where the plane is and where that object is based on the numbers in that video, which are the numbers of the distance and the, the speed of the plane and how high it's flying. And they'll explain what that thing is. And I've watched those videos. They basically explain that it's probably some either type of artifact or some type of balloon like that's flying just above the surface of the ocean. And you never hear these people say, well, I watched that video and it kind of changed my mind. Because the conclusion is, I want to believe this thing and therefore I'm going to exclude everything that disagrees with me. And that's the confirmation bias. And the illusion of explanatory depth is I'm talking about this thing that I saw that I don't really understand, but I'm talking like I understand it. That's, the, that's an emotional argument. It's not as logical as they think it is. And right. we are prone to these things because evolutionarily, when we're hunter-gatherers getting into groups and villages, it's better for us to believe that the other side may be, this other village may be trying to get our food then right. it is not because it, it protects us, but we're not in that situation anymore. It's not in our best interest to do these things, but it still happens. You mentioned consequential, right? And you mentioned universal and then the emotional, but I think you said there was four, right? Four right. So one more thing on the emotional, the, the, the studies show that the higher your education, the less likely you are to believe in conspiracies. Now, I don't want to say that people with higher education don't believe in conspiracies because I know some people with higher education that believe in conspiracy theories. Yeah, we all have those friends. Okay. Yeah. It, we, we, oh my God, we do I friends. have these friends? <laughs> yeah. But it's just, it's less likely. Okay. And it, and it has to do generally with people with higher education tend to have more training and more education in analytical and logical thought process. But that's not that's not a, a certainty. Also, conspiracy theories, and this is something that is happening now. And I think this is this is only part of it. And the other reason is the next the next principle. But conspiracy theories tend to rise in times of crisis. So when there's stress and there's crisis, wars, uncertainty, conspiracy theories tend to rise because emotions tend to rise. When people feel like they lack control, they tend to feel more like things are happening against them. They feel like they're having more of a conspiracy against them. And that's literally what's happening in the world right now. War, uncertainty, political division, natural disasters, which feel like a lack of control. And so mm -hmm. you have this rise in these conspiratorial beliefs. And then that brings me to the fourth principle, which is social. Conspiracies tend to be part of groups. You have a particular group of people that believe it. They're called an in-group and they are, the beliefs are against it, another group. They call them an out-group, one versus the other. They're usually because the in-group is threatened in some way, either by this out-group feeling like this out-group is either hostile towards them or because they have some kind of stereotype against them, it's usually minorities in the stereotype, and they're threatening them in some way. 
and then there's potentially a, a collective narcissism within the in-group where they feel superiority on top of that, and that adds to the belief that they're better, and therefore, if they're being threatened and they're better, then they must be conspiring against them. It ties nicely with what I was saying earlier, the, the grandiose narcissism and the vulnerable narcissism. Right. So that, there's a dynamic, one will control the narrative, and the one that's believed is that I have to fit their reality into the narrative, that I, I must be like this because that other group is doing this to me, right? That's right. And I, I've said this before to people is, and it has to do with social media. Social People say social media is the reason that we have all of this division and we have all of these things. And I wanted to, what I like to tell people is social media didn't create who we are. Social media has amplified it. What social media does is usually the conspiracy person was the guy at the end of the street and it's like, oh, that's, that's Joe. He, he thinks that aliens are controlling the government. With social media now, Joe can find all the other guys who think that aliens are controlling the government and get together with his in-group. And what social media has done is it didn't change the fact that Joe existed. But now Joe can find other Joes and he can find them all over the world. And he can go, wow, I'm not the only one that thinks aliens are controlling the government. There's thousands of people who think that. And not only that, but we can talk about it. And we can talk about it together and we can join a group. And that group can join a subgroup. And that subgroup can break off and become another group. And what social yeah. media did, it didn't create who we are. It amplified it. It gave, it gave people a place to talk about all of these things and make people feel like they're part of their in-group and solidify that in-group. And social right. media has now blown up these conspiracy theories because all these in-groups have gotten together through social media and found each other. Right. It's almost like a reinforcement, right? So, yeah, I'm going to find that you believe the same thing I believe. Therefore, it's even more true, right? It's even, that's almost like a fact. The fact that Dimitri believes my odd belief, it must be true then. That's right. And, and if that guy believes it, and that guy believes it, and that guy believes it, it reinforces my belief. And right. look, other people that can make money off of these beliefs can gain power off of these beliefs have figured this out and you get a lot of conspiracy grifters you get a lot of people right. who have decided to seize power over it and when you have people that are p powerful that espouse them that makes it even more dangerous because they know and this is what we're talking about earlier in the show is when you get people that say things that they know that their base is going to fall over themselves over those people, when you get in a room with a doctor and you ask them, do you really believe this? When they know that's not going to get out of the room, they may say no so that they can, you know, they can say, you know, they have competence or capacity. Right. But the people that really believe that, believe that they believe that. It's that, dangerous. That becomes it's dangerous. dangerous. becomes really, then, really, really dangerous. I could, I could see how these two, right, the conspiracists would use it to format extremist ideas right i'm going to that's part of the extremist group in whatever group religious or whatever whatever group it is they become extreme because they have a following they have people mm -hmm. believing buying in in that concept and they will lead and they will use that conspiracy as a tool to control right that's again that's that grandiose narcissism the desire to control the desire to have some kind of power over people with knowledge false knowledge right. i would say and again it's consequential 
These beliefs right. are not just something you're going to sit in your living room and scream at the TV about. They have consequences. The Pizzagate thing, it ended up with someone going into a, a oh my actual God, yeah. store and, and doing something about it. Jesus, that okay. was scary. The lie about the the election, it's still going right. on. You know, it right. ended in January 6th. Uh, these are things that consequential. That have yeah. consequences. The autism and vaccines, measles right. outbreaks. These are things that have real world consequences. So right. just the idea of believing these things. Again, people have the right to believe whatever they want. And no right. one's taking that away from you. But it, once you start getting into a realm of starting to hurt other people with these beliefs and you start to hurt yep. yourself with these beliefs, then it becomes a completely different thing. Once you start to get into a realm of you have to enact laws based on these beliefs, which could potentially hurt other people, which could right. potentially take away other people's rights, you're starting to cross another barrier yeah. where these beliefs become a big problem. And, yeah. so, and it, 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 it's serious. You know, there was a study, there was a survey, a national survey, and apparently I read it the other day, 37% of the respondent, that was in the US, right? Other of the respondent agreed that the FDA, the Food Drug Administration, right? Uh, the FDA is deliberately hiding natural cures for cancer, right? And other diseases. Yeah. So if 37 people, 37% of the population believe that, how can they buy in, in, in medical care? How can they buy in what you're saying as a physician? Because yeah. they, they have that delusion or that, that fixed belief that the FDA is, is manipulating data or making or hiding curves for cancer because of the farm drugs are having power over them. You know, farm company, you know, the, the, the big pharma. There's some truth to it, but to, to, to extrapolate that truth that they have lobbying power and say that the FDA is hiding curve, then that created a, 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 a distrust between providers and, and, and patients. And that where... That is where the consequential part comes into place, right? How can we make sure that our healthcare is uh, is not affected by those beliefs, right? Because people can can be hurt, people can die, and, and where that's really occur available to them. Whether whether we can help change that belief with education, there's the 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 the, the research says that the more facts you give someone who believes what they want, the less they're going to believe you. Changing their belief with facts is not the way to do that. Have we gotten Have we gotten too serious here? Is this, is this, I guess. Is this podcast gotten too serious? Have we have, have we gotten further away? How much further away from sports can we get? I, I, I don't, well, we we were clever enough to tie in Kyrie Irving and Alan Rodgers into conspiracy. So I think we we, we right within the boundaries of our. I just want right? to point out we're not tying Kyrie Irving into conspiracy theories. <laughs> just want to point that out, right? We're not doing that. He said something that later on he disavowed what, what he said. So well, let's that's be fair right. to carry. I agree. That's right, because Flat Earth is ridiculous, and I think he knows that. I think he knows that. But, the, the, you know, I, I don't think we could have gotten further away from I suppose there's probably a million but, ways but, but that, that was a, sports, but. but that, that was a, a serious topic, and I, I think yeah. sometimes we have to be serious. No, I think we should. And uh, this is this is a serious uh this is a pretty serious topic, and it's topical because this is not going to go away. And I have a feeling that this is not going to be the first time we're going to do this. The, the news cycle is uh, is going to continually provide us with opportunity to do this one again. Yep.
All right, our guest today, Mindy Clark. Mindy Clark is an attorney, graduated from the University of Colorado, was a volleyball player there, also graduated from St. Thomas University School of Law, licensed in four states, and is a partner in a multi-state law firm and does contracts, contract law. Did I get anything wrong or should I add anything or is that... Nope, I think right? that, that that's right. All right. Welcome. Welcome, Mindy. You may have heard our podcast. We goof around a lot, but today I think we had a very good episode, more serious than, than the others. And we went into talking about sports and other stuff. But I guess a question we have for you as your, your, your lawyer, right? You're an attorney. We were mentioning earlier that nowadays players seem to get a lot of powers, right? There's an empowerment movement in, in sports in general, mostly in the NBA, where you see some big names, maybe not the, the guy at the end of the bench, but some big names in the game, they get their way around the league in the sense that they can dictate their contract after they sign the contract, right? So as a lawyer, what do you think about these guys signing five-year contracts and after you won, they force their way out of the contract? And to me, I feel like if you sign a contract, it's binding, right? It's legally binding. How do they get the way so easy? Or what do you think? What would you tell your client if you were a lawyer? Or what would you tell the owner if you want to set up the, let's say, employer, not owner, right? What do you think, Mindy? Yeah, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, you know, when it comes to contracts, right? Everything to me is about quid pro quo, right? As an attorney for either side, right? You want to make sure that you're getting a benefit out of it. But on, you know, the contrary, the other side wants the same. And so, you know, these contracts have a lot of different, you know, provisions and ways out of them, right? A good attorney can, can argue their way out of those types of provisions to break them. But at the end of the day, you don't see a lot of lawsuits or, you know, even settlements coming out of breaking these contracts. So what that tells me as a lawyer is that there's a mutual understanding. There's some mutual benefit not only to get into that contract, but likewise to get out of it, right? And so um, generally, you know, owners don't want players, you know, around that honestly aren't going to perform, that, that they maybe they don't want to be there. Their morale is going to bring down the team. Uh, maybe what they're doing off the court is a bad image for that particular, you know, team's brand um, and is impacting them financially in other ways. Um, they may want to, you know, get the player off their books to help out with their salary cap. Um, so and likewise for a player, maybe they don't want to be on the team anymore. Maybe they're not getting along with their, you know, their teammates. Maybe they're not getting along with the coach, with the ownership. Um, and maybe, you know, that's really just not in their best interest anymore. And then likewise, you know, of course, they want to get more money out of a different deal. And so uh, generally, they're not breaking, you know, any law when they're getting out of these contracts, right? Um, you know, these are, you know, these are designed so that players can freely move, you know, in the agency, and they're not restricted, like they used to be, you know, to one team for their, you know, tenure of their professional career. Uh, as an employer, I'd rather avoid the bad press. So I'm making a business decision by letting a Kevin Durant go, for example, or a Kyrie Irving go. So basically, I'm avoiding the worst. Therefore, I may be winning in that nullifying, by nullifying the contract, I guess, or by trading somebody out. Yeah, but I mean, I think, you know, for them, it's it's all over the news, right, that they want to leave. So I don't think they're scared of litigation, right? There's generally some mutual benefit flowing back to that owner to get that person off their books. But these contracts, they're collectively bargained. So shouldn't they be going in with the understanding that, you know, I'm signing this contract knowing that prior to this, our union has already decided 
how it's going to be how it's going to be written how it's going to be done they are collectively bargained but there are aspects of the contract that are negotiable you know depending on that particular player and their agent you know negotiating it so there are key elements yes that are kind of predetermined and you know that's that's collectively bargained by the players association and the ownership but you know there there are different terms that are you know or i should say are you know, at the discretion of a particular player, whether or not they want to sign that. And they can negotiate and change those terms of that contract. Most of that obviously comes down to, you know, guarantees, comes down obviously to the money, comes down to to the tenure of the term. And it seems like, it seems like the NBA and Major League Baseball seem to have the best of those terms. Why is it that those two leagues seem to have the strongest players associations unions than say the NFL the NHL sure no, that's a great question um I, I think it comes down to a lot of things right the first of which is right leadership um you know I think that you have to look at who's leading up these associations and the representation um, that's being brought in from both sides so take the NFL for example you know the, they're having to represent a really large amount of people in a kind of a small group of representation. And what I mean by that is you have a lot of players on every single team. So you have a lot of people in the league in general, right? More so than you would in NFL, okay? Or sorry, NBA. Um, you also, you have different people on the field at different times. They don't share the field. So they're not going to share the same interest, right? There's all different, I mean, body sizes, different requirements, different skill set that make up you know, an NFL team versus an NBA team, for example, right? Um, so I, I think that just leads to more difficulties in, in kind of getting an agreement that represents um, all parties and keeping all parties happy. Um, you know, then you also look at NFL. I think it's it's a little bit more difficult there because, you know, you're dealing with players that are more prone to injury. Um, so there's a lot of concerns around that as opposed to other sports. I mean, even though the NBA is a contact sport, it, it's definitely, you know, a less likelihood of you know, injury, right? I think they say that the average injury in an NFL game is like five or six injuries per game, whereas it's not even one per game averaged in the MLB and, you know, the NBA. And so when you're talking about trying to negotiate different benefits for, you know, injuries that could be um, even life-threatening as we saw this season, um, I think it just, it's harder to, to get, you know, an agreement together in place that makes everybody happy. I also think that the owners in the NFL are, are a little bit more united um, in the sense that it's harder to negotiate with them. Not saying that the NBA doesn't have its fair share of, you know, really smart business people and owners um, that want the best deal for them, but they also understand that the, the commodity is, is the game, right? And you've got to make sure your, your athletes are, are walking away, um, you know, with a win and feeling like they're getting something for, for the service that they're providing. It all goes back to what I said before about a contract and negotiating it. It's quid pro quo, right? You've got to have everybody getting a benefit and maybe they have to give up a little something too, but they've also got to be getting that benefit. So I think that's just why, you know, just a few reasons why um, the NFL has to me, you know, and also is paralleling to you a weaker kind of association um, than the others. But with these injuries now, the, the NBA actually has higher injury rates now with even load management and stuff. So like as an owner, you know, if I assign my player to a contract and he's like, yeah, I'm just not going to play 20 games, 
just because I don't feel like it. And I'm like, dude, you know, product, right? You like get on the court and like people are paying for this and you know, could like if if I was selling a cereal like Lucky Charms, for instance, and like in twenty percent of the boxes, they they just didn't have marshmallows. But how, as an owner, like, or how do you even make your player play? You can't do that. You can't force the guy to get on the court. Like, what do you do about that? I mean, no, you certainly can't force somebody, right? You can't physically pick them up and force them to go and perform, right? But um, you know, I think that's again going back to your contracts, making sure that you're you know, your contracts have provisions about, you know, essentially why they're not getting on the court and having ramifications for not doing so, right? There's different... It doesn't seem know. to be working, though, because well, no. they're doing it, right? They're doing it, right? And and it's not just for, you know, physical reasons, right? You see a lot of it, you know, for, um, you know, even political reasons. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, that's something that they're going to have to think about. I think you know, in the years past, you know, athletes wanted to, to be out there and playing their sport. Whereas now I don't know that it's not necessarily that they don't want to be playing it, but they, they want all this extra stuff. Right. And so that comes at a price. And so I think, you know, when we see these, you know, agreements, you know, in the future, it's probably going to have provisions in there about non-performance for a, you know, non-injury related, you know, item. So I'm curious to see, in the next rounds, right, post-COVID, things like that, whether, you know, there's going to be provisions in there that are preventing that kind of behavior. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think we're going to see a new CBA soon in the NBA because I think it looks like, at least to the eye of the fan, it looks like in that dynamic franchisees, employers or owners versus player association and players, particularly the most powerful one, I think it looks like the, the, the NBA association is losing that battle. And but I, I want to make a a point though, these players, the ones that are having uh, the request, you know, I'm not gonna play because of club management, for example. I think it goes back to empowerment. I think those are the players that have the most powers in the league. Those are the, the superstars, right? The LeBron James of the world, the King of Durant of the world, the Kyrie Irving of the world. They have that ability. They have that media platform. They have that power, that following to allow them to do that. I don't think the guy at the end of the bench. I don't think he feels probably doesn't feel as comfortable saying I'm not going to play today because it could be easily traded out. Like, we don't need you, right? But how can you say to LeBron James, listen, you play or I'm going to trade you? So I think it goes back to empowerment. And in a sense, it's not really fair for the entire player association, but those, I don't know, top top 1% of the league, um, they get the way around because of that media likeness, that like ability, and, and the, the power they have on the field. Should players get paid extra for the NBA All-Star game? Like, you know, like regular employees, like if they get called into overtime, get paid time and a half, should NBA players get paid for Absolutely. That? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're putting themselves out there. Um, you know, they're putting themselves at risk for an injury that could impact their financial situation, you know, in their regular scheduled um, games. So I think that they should. I think that also makes it more entertaining. Um, people pay and make a big deal out of all-star weekends, right? They're normally three-day affairs. They bring a lot of revenue to cities. They bring a lot of revenue to the league, um, which ultimately, you know, players should be compensated for. Oh, so you are you are a player contract attorney that I see. 
I mean, listen, I, I played sports growing up. Um, I still, uh-huh. you know, actively play a sport. So, I mean, yeah, come on. I've got a, I've, you know, got a soft spot for athletes. Um, okay, I mean, I it doesn't okay. mean that as a lawyer, I can't argue the other side, right? It's just okay. about who, who's paying me. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Well, now I'm going to be an owner and I'm going to pay you. So I'm going to ask you to sit next to me in the, in the negotiations of the next CBA. And I'm going to say, counselor, please tell me how I can institute a salary cap in my sport. Tell me how I can do that. Yeah, absolutely. If I, if I was representing the owners, I would, you know, and that was the ask, you know, the next question would be, you know, or the first question from the, the lawyer to the owner would be, well, what are you willing to give up to get that benefit? Nothing. Is it, well, nothing, then then your likelihood of success is going to be, you know, very low, right? When Well, nothing more than I already have. Okay. Well, yeah. But I mean, as a good lawyer w- will be honest with their client, right? And make sure that they understand that you can't go into any situation with, you, know, you have to have bargaining power and you're not giving me any bargaining power to get you something that's pretty massive, right? Um, and so well, I need some bargaining power. You've got to give okay, me well, let's something. Use, let's use a real world example here. Let's use baseball. All right. These contracts are getting outrageous. I just saw today that Manny Machado, I believe, is in line, is is about to sign or has been offered an 11-year, $350 million contract. Shohei Otani after this year is going to be a free agent, there's talks that he's going to get the richest contract in the history of sports, something around like 10 years, $500 million, which is absurd. I, I remember when Albert Pujols signed with the Angels for 10 years and like it was like 200 something million dollars and people were falling, fainting, and they were like, this is ridiculous, and now Shohei Otani is going to sign for double that. And I get inflation's crazy and stuff like that, but $500 million early for 10 years. And and so that's, as an owner, I'm, half a billion, I would guys. sit down. Yes, thank you for the math, Steph. That is half a billion. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> as, an owner, as an owner, I would sit down and say, I think I've given up enough, don't you think? I want to institute a salary cap or maybe, you know, like what the NBA has, the luxury tax, because, I, you know, I'm the Marlins, for instance, or I'm the Tampa Bay Rays or the Oakland A's. I can't spend $300 million on the salary like the Mets do because I don't have the TV revenue that the Mets and the Yankees do, and they can spend $300 million every year, and, and so I'm left out, and I want to compete. No, I, I listen. I, I get, I get the owner's perspective, right? But also, I mean, it's the oldest sport out there, right? Like, why did we get to this point? Why was that not already negotiated? Um, I mean, I, I'd say that they let it get out of hand. Um, but again, going back to the original ask, right? If I am an attorney for you as an owner, again, you're going to have to give up something. So whether that be, you know, because these players are already getting these contracts, you're not going to take that away and not give them something in return. So it's got to be either more of the revenue share. Um, it's got to be, you know, maybe something in the form of, you know, better free agency rules, um, maybe better pensions or rules around those um, benefits, things like that, guaranteed contracts. Um, there's different tools in the toolbox um, to, to entice them to give up something if they're getting something, you know, in return somewhere else. So that's what I'd say is, is needed. And then again, it comes down to the sport too, right? Um, 
it's not a one size fits all approach. Right. And and I would guess the the owners, right, the franchise, I don't think they I mean, I don't know, but I would say as a business person, I don't think they're paying Machado because they like Machado. They're playing Machado because they're making a business decision. It might bring revenue in terms of more viewership because they have them. So it might that kind of price, they possibly make a calculation that that's an investment in my franchise. Um, and a few teams in the in different leagues, they don't, they don't pay to win championship. They pay to fill up the the stands, right? I, I, there's teams in the NBA that they have not won championship in years, but they'll pay the price for a multiplayer. They'll pay for Damian Lillard to stay in their franchise because if he's not there, nobody's going to watch the game, right? So I think it's an investment. And in, in going back to, to the MLB, it might be the league with, possibly the least rate of injuries. Those guys, literally I was telling you, those guys spend their time standing up. If they're not running, you know, they stand up most of the, most of the game and then the injury is not that that much of a concern. So I guess that investment from the owners, I think it's not the same thing saying, I'm going to pay you half a million dollars for NFL players, you know, because they, they might get injured that very season, right? So I think the risk is minimal in, in, in baseball for that kind of um, expense. Mindy, calling an attorney counselor, Objection or no objection? No objection. Okay. You can call me whatever you want. I've been called much worse than counselor. <laughs> Interrupting a witness on the stand. Objection or no objection? Absolute objection. Okay. Lawyers and judges who wear bow ties. Objection or no objection? Um, if they're men and over 65, no objection. Otherwise, absolutely objection. not. Absolutely not. <laughs> Can't wear a boat. It can't. I have one for you. Come on. I mean, for calling a judge a hunter, like a hunter, I don't know how you pronounce that word, but why calling a judge that kind of, why giving that kind of reverence? He's the one making the decisions, and so you have to stroke the ego, right? You have to kiss the ring. So you absolutely call him whatever he or she wants to be called. What did you call him? Oh, (laughs) your your honor. honor. Oh, okay. I think that that's like a standard thing, isn't it? Got to do that. I don't know. It's like a glorified position. Like, yeah. what's gonna be my your, my king? Or I don't know. <laughs> All right. So Thank you for joining it's a, us. It's a legally, it's a legally caution piece ass, I guess. Right? Yeah. I what's yeah? Um, I, well, I think. I mean, do we have to call no you guys to that? doctors, or can we just call you by your first name? I Not, mean, on I, <laughs> Not on this show. Not on this show. On this show, you just call us whatever. It's fine. Thank you, Mindy, for joining us. Thank Appreciate you. for your insights. Thank All you. Right. Bye. See you, see you in, in another episode. All right. We're at that time. It's the mental health tip of the day. Day full of hiccups? Need a shakeup? Listen up. It's Dr. Bick and Dr. DeGrasse's mental health tip of the day. Steph, what is the mental health tip of the day? Which, by the way, is sponsored by nobody again because we still don't have any sponsors. Anyway, go ahead. What is the mental health tip of the day? All right, guys, this one is a, it's a cheesy one. I hope I get a laugh out of this one. You know, the present, right? The, 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 the time, it's a gift, right? That's why it's called a present. So I, guys, I always tell people, do not dwell 
too much on the past. The past is gone. There's nothing to do anymore about the past. So live the present time because it's given. It's a gift. And likewise, if you say your, if you spend your life worrying about the future, then you're gonna lose that time, right? You can never get it back again. So always focus your energy on what you're doing now. If you really wanna prepare for the future, make sure that you take care of the present time and not wasting time in the past. So again, guys, the present is a gift. So see it as such. I never, I never saw it that way, but you're absolutely right. The present is a gift. That's excellent. That is your mental health tip of the day. And we will see you next time on the site. All right, guys. Take care, guys.